Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. The title of this sermon series is Horse Pills from Jesus. That's the reason for uh, the comic relief of that picture there in your bulletin. Because as we take a look at these passages, we are faced with one horse pill after another, one tough message after another that Jesus is giving to us that we need his, his grace to help us swallow it and digest the truth of what is here for us. Today, just five verses, Luke chapter 12, we're going to read verses 49 through 53. Hear God's word this morning. By the way, I've been teaching middle school students all week long, so if you doze off on me, I may have developed a habit this week where I'm just going to call on you. But I promise to try to bribe you with candy at the end of today's sermon. (laughs) Okay, Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53. Hear God's word. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Tough words, indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your Holy Spirit to come to help us to understand this passage. We need your Holy Spirit to apply this passage to our lives. Father, give us teachable spirits today, because these are very difficult words indeed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pop quiz, Bartow. Tell me what this means. WWJD. Who can tell me what WWJD means? What would Jesus do? Very good, very good. Where do we get that saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do you remember? Huh? Bracelet, yes, yes. In the 1990s, there were these bracelets that became very popular that had on them WWJD, which stood for What Would Jesus Do? That was actually a, a reprint of, of some things that had been uh, published earlier uh, around the 1890s. 1896, Charles Sheldon wrote a very famous classic work called In His Steps. What would Jesus do? And it's a, it's a fictional religious novel which a pastor is confronted with some issues in his congregation. And he challenges his congregation in the novel. That before you make a decision, before you decide anything in your life, pause and ask yourself this question. What would Jesus do? And so that sparked a whole uh, 
series of books and bracelets and so forth and so on. Now, there's nothing bad with asking that question, what would Jesus do? In fact, in a sense, uh, our study with Dr. Ferguson is is making us pause and look at that question from a, a different perspective, a more a better, more biblical perspective of our union with Christ and understanding our relationship with God and our identity in Christ. So why do I bring up this idea of what would Jesus do? Because when you read this passage, it looks as if Jesus lost his bracelet. Because what Jesus says in this passage doesn't sound very Christ-like, does it? It doesn't sound very Jesus-like if you always assume that Jesus is going to be nice, kind, sweet, polite. But what we see is that the problem is not with Jesus, but what's the problem? The problem is our expectations of Jesus. Many of you this morning might be frustrated in your relationship with Jesus. Why? Because you feel like Jesus isn't living up to your expectations of him. Perhaps you were sold the line and you were sold the lie that if you would just give your life to Jesus Christ, all of your problems would go away. As one of my friends said, he said, My life used to be easy. It was after I gave my life to Christ that my life became very difficult. He said, that's when I realized I had all this sin going on in my life. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus today? What are your expectations of Jesus? See, here's the issue. Are your expectations of Jesus biblical? And what Jesus does in this passage is he realigns our expectations of him to make sure that our expectations of him are in line with his mission and his purpose. And so what we see in this passage are several surprising statements from Jesus. Several surprising statements that challenge our expectations of Jesus. So the question for you this morning is, are you willing to receive these surprising actions from Jesus? J.C. Ryle says this, that let us beware of unscriptural expectations of God. J.C. Ryle also says that these, these words, in his own way, he said these are horse bills from Jesus, because J.C. Ryle said they are especially weighty. So what's the first expectation Jesus wants us to have of him? It's this. Jesus divides. Jesus divides. That's surprising, isn't it? Jesus says in verses 51 through 53, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. In fact, he goes on to paint the scene of a picture in verses 52 through 53 of a a household that has five members in it. It has the mother, the father, the daughter, the son, and the daughter-in-law there. 
It says that this whole house will be divided. Why is that surprising to us? Well, just earlier in Luke's gospel, if we turn back to Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we remember that the angels made this beautiful declaration that now that the Messiah has come, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so we would say to Jesus, our biblical expectation of you is we expect you to bring peace, not division. You think about the often quoted verse from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that's used of the messianic expectations, the, the names of the Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Thank you. You're just as good as the middle schoolers. You can participate. Almost, yeah. But Jesus says in this passage, He hasn't come to give peace. He's come to divide. And in verse 53, what Jesus quotes is Micah chapter 7, verse 6. And Micah chapter 7, verse 6 is the prophet Micah prophesying about the consequence of Israel's sin. That God has allowed the family structure to begin to break down. We can see that in our own culture, in our own country, can't we? But the New Testament picks up Micah chapter 7 verse 6 and use it as a picture of what happens in families after Jesus comes. That's surprising, isn't it? I don't expect... Any of us to come here today and say, yippee, I want to go sing praises to Jesus because he's going to divide our family. I mean, a household can be divided it's over something as simple as which type of cereal is the best cereal to purchase at Publix. Churches can be divided over the silliest things, can't they? Have I shared with you the story about the Left Foot Baptist Church? Do you know the story about the Left Foot Baptist Church? It's a true story. There was a Baptist church that wanted to celebrate a Monday Thursday service, and they began celebrating the Monday Thursday service at the conclusion of the service with a foot washing. And after they'd done the foot washing service for a number of years, there were folks in the church that began to divide over which foot should be washed first. And the division became so strong and so deep that eventually the left foot Baptist church was birthed. Wives, because apparently the left foot, in their mind, needed to be washed first. What this, the division that Jesus refers to here in this passage is not a silly type of division like that. What's the division caused by? One's relationship with Jesus. Friends, I want your expectations of Jesus to be Biblical. If your expectations of Jesus are biblical, they will be realistic. Because Jesus has come to offer you peace with him. Not necessarily with others. In fact, as you receive Christ and seek to follow Christ, what you may discover is that friends that you've had for a long time don't want to hang out with you 
quite like they used to do. Or you may find yourself at times, even with family members, struggling in your conversation because your priorities have been transformed by Jesus. I don't want you to be culture shocked by that truth and that reality. Align your expectations with Jesus in his word. And Jesus tells us, if you come to me, you may experience division and conflict in your life. At Family Bible Conference this year, we, we studied the book of Revelation. and In a sense, that's the summary of the book of Revelation, is that the early church experienced extreme persecution for their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, for 400 years from the first century on to the fourth century, we see that the early church suffered severe persecution. Just the idea of professing faith in Christ could land a Christian in jail in Rome or something worse, either being fed to the lines or beheaded. And so don't miss out on the radical, radical act that the Apostle Paul is doing as he sends letter via Roman Mail carriers that carry in them the profession of faith that Jesus is what? Lord. When in that day and age, the profession was that Caesar is Lord. And thus we can see how even more bold it is of the Apostle Paul that as he writes letters to the early church while he's in prison, he doesn't refrain from saying in those letters what? Jesus is Lord. Align your expectations of Jesus with biblical expectations of Jesus. Jesus will divide. The second expectation we see in this passage is another surprising expectation some of us may see that Jesus judges. Jesus judges. Look at verse 49. Jesus says, I have come to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. That makes you wonder, did Jesus lose his bracelet? That doesn't seem very nice of Jesus. Jesus almost seems giddy about the fact that he's going to judge the world. He says, I've come to cast fire on the earth. And no doubt in this passage, the picture of fire is a picture of judgment. It is a picture of God's wrath being poured out upon the world. And he says, and I would that it were already kindled. William Henderson says this, In all probability, this fire refers to the judgment of God upon the sins of his people. That judgment would be rendered at Calvary. It is Jesus himself who will satisfy God's justice and bear the punishment. But don't miss the fact that Jesus announces himself as the judge of the universe. And no doubt in this passage, our Lord Jesus is anticipating the judgment and wrath of God that will be poured out upon himself. And he awaits for the day when he'll be resurrected, ascended, returned, so that he can judge both the living and the dead. Does that truth comfort you today? 
the fact that Jesus is the judge of the universe, does that comfort you? It should. Over the years, I've seen friends, I've seen family members, I've seen church members suffer from abuse. Some physical, sadly some sexual. And there have been a number of occasions where that abuse did not come to light until after the abuser was dead. And as you counsel those folks, you, you seek to fi- help them find comfort and solace in Christ. And this will make some of you uncomfortable, but it is a biblical truth. For many of those folks, do you know what they found the most comfort in at that time of their lives? That God is a God of justice. That the all-seeing eye of God knows the pain that they endured. That the holy, just God of the universe knows the pain that they experience. And that unless their abuser repented of their sin and trusted in Christ, they're experiencing God's wrath and holy justice. Friends, that isn't a picture of Jesus losing his WWJD bracelet. That's a picture of the character of God. That we serve a holy, just God. That will not allow any man or woman to escape his judgment apart from Christ. If that causes you to wiggle in your seat today, perhaps it's because the Spirit is moving you to know that one day you too will face that holy, just judge. The Scriptures say it's appointed for every man once to die and this then face judgment. And the most important day of your existence will be that day. It will be your last day when you stand before God as your judge. This day is the day you get ready for that day. Because this day is the day that you have an opportunity to admit your sinfulness and your rebellion to that holy, just judge. To admit that sin to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And he promises that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which brings us to the final surprising expectation, surprising action we find in this passage. Not only that Jesus divides and Jesus judges, but Jesus suffers. Look at 
But Jesus suffers with a purpose. He suffers to save you. Look at what Jesus says in verse 50. As Jesus highlights the fact he's come to suffer to save us. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. What does Jesus mean by that phrase? I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about his suffering. He's talking about his passion. He's talking about his crucifixion on the cross at Calvary. He highlighted this in Mark chapter 10 verse 38 when he told the disciples, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Jesus highlights his suffering here with this metaphor about baptism. Why is this so surprising? What's surprising about this is that the messianic expectations of the Jewish people was not that the Messiah would come and suffer, but that the Messiah would come and conquer. And thus they expected Jesus, the Messiah, to roll up onto the scene to conquer the Roman Empire and to issue peace there at the Messiah's coming. But Jesus has told them now, no, that's not how things are going to unfold according to the Heavenly Father's plan. But rather, my first coming this time is to come and suffer in your place. And at my second coming when I come, there will be true peace throughout the entire world as I will divide all of humanity into those that are in Christ and those that are outside of Christ. Those that will enjoy the eternal fellowship of God the Father's presence for eternity and those that will experience God's wrath, anger, and curse and judgment for the rest of eternity. But in this moment, what's so surprising is that the Messiah has come and said, I have come to suffer in your place. Grasp this, that the judge of the universe came willing to be falsely accused, falsely arrested, pitifully tried, Condemned to death and executed in your place. Church, don't miss how shocking of an act that is. Jesus suffers to save you. My favorite part of this passage is the last part of verse 50. Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. R. Kent Hughes says it this way, with perfect candor, Jesus described the impatient misery that drenched his soul. It's so candid of Jesus, isn't it? In verse 50, he says, And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. We see later on in Luke's gospel that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the stress of the suffering and the passion that's before Jesus is so intense that what do the scriptures say happens to Jesus? He sweats drops of blood. 
In other words, as one commentator said, it is as if the pain and the agony of Gethsemane was constantly before Jesus. We remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says in Luke's gospel that Jesus turned his eyes towards Jerusalem and he turned his eyes towards the cross. And what we see in all of these horse pills from Jesus is the intensity of the cross, the intensity of Calvary approaching quickly and steadily and rapidly before our Savior's eyes. And he longs for his sacrifice to be complete. My favorite part of study on this passage this week is in verse 50. In the original Greek, the same verb root that says, until it is accomplished, is the same verb root that Jesus utters in John chapter 19, verse 30, when he says, it is finished. What's the point? Jesus is showing us what our expectations of him should be. That although he's the holy, just judge of the universe that will divide all of humanity on judgment day. He's the one that's come to suffer and die in our place. Friends, what guilt eats at you this morning? When I was at a family Bible conference this past week, I was reminded of an event that happened at another conference I was at a number of years ago. A young couple asked to see me following one of the talks. And I remember being excited because I assumed that they were coming forward uh, to talk to me to profess faith in Christ. They were a couple that were dating through high school and they had just graduated as seniors from their high school. What they revealed to me in that conversation was the fact that just a few weeks prior to graduation, this young girl had aborted her baby. What they were eaten up with that day was guilt and agony. And I remember as best I could that day trying to point them to Jesus. That Jesus is grace and greater than all of our sins. And all of our mistakes. Friends, there is an unbiblical expectation that Satan whispers in every ear that ever enters a sanctuary. And this is it. 
Before you come to Jesus, you got to get cleaned up. That's fooey, that's hogwash, that's nonsense. You come to Jesus and he cleans you up. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man or woman should boast. Align your expectations with the Jesus of the Bible. His holiness is more scary than you can fathom in today. And His grace is more astounding and comprehensive than you can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long for everything to be made right and perfect. When it comes to all of creation, that will only happen at your Son's second coming. But in the meantime, Father, what we pray and what we need is to be made right with you. So I ask that your spirit would come this morning. That souls would leave here today justified by faith in Christ. Help us to leave here today at peace with you. Our creator and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.